Thanks for downloading show 90 of the C-Suite podcast. My name's Rachel Gatley and this is the second of two episodes we're recording in partnership with CFA UK and their conference on the topic of ESG investing. As we discussed in our previous episode, there's a growing demand for ESG investment right now, but the sector is still in the early stages of establishing best practice. Today's conference agenda covers the practical realities of how to effectively measure, score and improve the implementation of environmental, social and governance factors across all asset classes. And in our previous episode, we heard from a number of speakers who provided an excellent overview of the topic and the issues discussed here at the conference today. This included conversations with Ben Yeo, Portfolio Manager of Global Equities, Royal Bank of Canada, Sudeep Hazra, Head of Sustainability Research and Responsible Investment for Kepler Chevreau, Nina Reid, Director of Responsible Property Investment and in M&G Real Estate, and Mark Lewis, Global Head of Sustainability Research, BNB Paribas Asset Management, and a member of the FSB Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure. So, if you haven't already, make sure you tune into those great interviews too. Meantime, back to this podcast. Let's get on with the show. I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Elroy Dimson, Chairman for the Centre for Endowment Asset Management at the Judge Business School at the University of Cambridge. Elroy is speaking straight after lunch on the topic of good practice in ESG stewardship and engagement. So Elroy, you've conducted research on active ownership. I wonder if you could tell me about some of the findings. Well, I've done work on active ownership jointly with two colleagues. Uh, one is Ozhan Karakash at the University of Cambridge and the other one is Shi Lee. Uh, and she is at London School of Economics. And what we uh, looked at was the extent to which uh, engaging with companies can be a worthwhile activity, not only in terms of accomplishing change, but uh, what its financial consequences are as well. Uh, We published this in a journal called the Review of Financial Studies. It's one of the top three journals in finance. And the bottom line was that looking at the history of a major asset owner who engages with U.S. companies, that not only were their successes in terms of achieving those objectives, but uh, this was repeated as good news in the financial industry in the sense that stock prices of companies that were engaged where the engagement was successful went up. Uh, and uh, relative to the market, those who were engaged where there was no success did not decline. They just performed neutrally. Uh, and so already this morning, there's been one of the presentations reproduced the charts that uh, we had published in a review of financial studies and our work on active ownership. And since that was published, which was in 2015, uh, two themes, I think, have become important. Um, one is that active ownership, if, if done well, can be financially worthwhile. Uh, And the other one is what the ingredients are for performing well as an active owner. And uh, two two of those are working with uh, others who share the same objectives. The firm who had given us their data set had worked extensively not only with other investors and other asset owners, but also with other groups, uh, Greenpeace, WWF. And uh, the other one is the importance in targeting companies for engagement of them caring about their reputation. And so it's companies who are consumer-facing, who are more receptive uh, and who are more likely to change in the way that that dialogue is leading. 
I understand that you've also been doing quite a lot of work in the space around coordinated engagement, um, and this is something you'll be speaking about in your session today. I wonder if you could perhaps expand on that for us too. Yes, of course. The work on coordinated engagements came out of our study of active ownership, which had revealed the importance of working with others to achieve common objectives. The principles for responsible investment made available the entire data set of uh, all of the coordinated engagements that have been undertaken by PRI signatories uh, in a very large number of countries and with a very large number of target companies. Uh, and it becomes clear that having uh, a coordinated approach makes it more likely that the objective of that dialogue will be successful. And it also makes it clear that the structure of that engagement is important, and in particular, having a lead investor who is from the same country uh, as the target company for engagement, and having supporting investors from all around the world increases the likelihood of success quite substantially. One of the themes we hear a lot today is doing well by doing good. Do you subscribe to this view? The doing well by doing good story is one in which you try to ensure that companies behave in a way or produce products which are appropriate and are thought to be good. That does have an impact. And companies that uh, are unattractive, maybe you might think of tobacco companies, can end up, as a result of those sentiments, with their price being depressed. If their price is depressed, you can expect higher returns from those companies. And so there is the paradox that if you are successful in influencing companies and the stock price of those companies goes down, the future returns will be higher. So some people talk about a sin stock premium. That is, if you are willing to invest in a sin stock, then you might expect higher returns. It's a curious uh, uh, finding, but it's one which is substantiated by long-term data. And that's very interesting given some of the conversations a number of our speakers today have uh, put to us, that at the very beginning of the chain, if you like, the consumer, the, the person who holds the pension, may well want to affect change through knowing that the investments their pension relates to are, are ethical in a broader sense. But interestingly, what you're saying there is that there's also an element of actually investing before that change takes place rather than the point at which it has begun. And that sin stock philosophy, meaning is that about affecting change in that regard? Or, or what's your thoughts? The evidence that we've compiled is one in which you can achieve outperformance by changing companies for the better. So that journey from more poorly behaving to a better behaving company can be accompanied by an increase in the price. But of course, a, a higher price for a company uh, means that future returns will be lower. I think this is entirely consistent with pensioners and others thinking about ethical issues. There's no ethical issue if you're simply deciding, do you want to make more money or less money? The ethical issue is when you decide that there are certain sorts of companies you'd like to hold and others you would not like to hold. And there may be a sacrifice in uh, making that choice of companies that you like. And the journey, being a part of that journey by virtue of the decisions you make with your own personal investments. Yes, I, I, I think that uh, for most people, though, uh, 
the journey, the impact and so forth is in the hands of investment managers. Very few are actually uh, interacting with companies that they invest in in a way which would affect change. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really fascinating to, to hear your thoughts and I, I know that the, the uh, conference are in for a treat later when you host your session. Good luck with the presentation. I hope it goes well and, and thank you again for your time. Thank you for inviting me to talk with you. That's very good. Thank you. Next, I'm delighted to welcome Faith Ward, Chief Responsible Investment Officer for Brunel Pension Partnership, before she takes the stage as part of a panel discussion about the client perspective on ESG. So you've explained to me that ESG should be part of an integrated approach to a portfolio. In other words, just another wider aspect of the risk management activity and not a separate asset class at all. Could you expand on this for our listeners, perhaps? Thank you, and thank you for um, letting me uh, join you today. I think one of the parallels I've used before is uh, in sort of making an investment decision to invest in a company is like sort of crossing the road. You've made that decision, and as you cross the road, you sort of look left and right to see if there's anything that's actually going to basically knock you over in terms of that journey. And that's how I see ESG risks and the environmental, social, and governance risks. Is there anything that is going to disrupt? The, um, that, that plan of action to, to invest in that company that you should need to be aware of before you actually make that decision, before, before crossing the road. So it's not, um, separate, it's not a separate style of investing, it's just a whole series of issues that should be considered when looking at a company to see if those will have a potential impact over the time frame in which you intend to hold that particular asset. So that could be a company, it could be um, a, a piece of property or, or anything. So it does apply to all asset classes. At Brunel, you look after the pension pots of those who have worked in the public sector for much of their lives, primarily in local authorities. Do you think this means that your beneficiaries are more focused on their funds being used for good than perhaps others might be? Or is this shift something that you see happening across the wider population too? I I think that... As you quite rightly say, these people have given their lives to public service and I think they're very aware perhaps of the environmental, social and governance issues that perhaps come with that because they experience those at first hand uh, in the nature of what they're doing, either whether that be in social services or environment, dealing with environmental issues. Um, so I think they have a higher level of awareness, perhaps uh, more historically, uh, than the wider population. They are very interested as well to ensure that the financial returns are there, um, and I think that's also a very important factor in what we try and do. We don't see there being a compromise or a trade-off between the two. But I think we can see that from the, and the climate emergency being declared by over half of the local authorities within the country, that this is very much coming to the fore, particularly in climate change. But we're seeing that um, it's being picked up much broadly in the population and we're seeing also concerns outside of climate change we've seen the rise in um, single-use plastics and the microplastics uh, issue so we're seeing a lot more people aware of um, of these issues more broadly within the population and putting pressure on their investments more wholly um, and I'm, I'm very encouraging of them to do that. The Corporate Governance Code and recently published Stewardship Code have highlighted the importance of purpose but they were critiqued for not making reference to the sustainable development goals. I wonder what your take is on this and and how useful you feel the SDGs are to investors. So the the sustainable development goals are um, 17 goals that were created by the United Nations and um, most countries have signed up to these and they do represent the things like uh, um, 
abolishing poverty, about climate change, about um, sustain building sustainable cities, life underwater. So the whole range of issues, and they are designed primarily for public policymakers. But as we've identified that we need, you know, billions of pounds reallocated if we're going to live more sustainably uh, going forward, and they are therefore, from that perspective, quite a useful framework, I think, to identify sort of sort of macro socio-economic um, risks from an investment perspective. From uh, investment themes, probably about usually around about six or seven of them, I think have more um, of a direct investment uh, resonance, which can help from an investment investment opportunity perspective. I think for companies then going down to their level, I think they're identifying which sustainable development goals they feel as a business that they can most positively contribute is actually quite a good message for them from, from their own business and understanding their purpose and sees them connecting with the real world. One of the big challenges for investors um, is how to actually communicate on this issue. And what the S SDGs, or the Sustainable Development Goals, was designed to do was to try and come up with a common language so that if you were talking to the person in the street about life under land or climate change or um, um, eliminating poverty, that was the same language then used sort of investments and linked to their, to, their, to their investments. So by creating that sort of common language set, however, we still got challenges um, about sort of authentically reporting against those and making sure that we don't do what's known as rainbow washing, uh, these, these colourful goals that you can then um, mislead people that perhaps their money's being invested in ways um, to do good, whereas in fact maybe that's a bit misleading. Uh, and there is a challenge around trying to come up with meaningful ways of reporting that. And this is an area that asset managers traditionally have not been great at doing communication, not only to us as their um, immediate clients, because I need that information because I then also want to convey those stories to my end benefit fisheries and we do feel that as you've asked me in the previous question they are really interested to know what's really going on within their portfolio and we find increasingly that helps investors invest more if we can positively connect you know real world issues with how they're contributing from through their pensions might be the only way in which they they can actually allocate assets in a direct sense to solving problems across the globe. Faith, thank you so much for joining us. Such invaluable contributions, and I'm sure that your panel session will be equally insightful. We'll be back after this quick break. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, you can either visit csuitepodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or in any one of your favorite podcast apps. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. With me now is Fadi Zahir, Head of Index Research and Development at Legal and General Investment Management, who has just finished running a session on bringing ESG into a passive investment strategy. Fadi, thank you for joining us today. Could you give us a quick overview of some of the areas that your session looked at today? Well, thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Um, the session was very much about integrating ESG into index investment, why it is important from an index point of view to integrate ESG. Because when you do actually ESG within an index, you can get the scale, you can influence a broader number of companies compared to just a simple concentrated investment strategies. And then the presentation continued into how to integrate it with different approaches, such as you do an optimization, you can do exclusions, which is the old way of doing 
kind of EAG investing, investing, and then we look at another approach, tilting, and then I show the combination of these different approaches, how you can create a solution with this, these things. And then I fi finished up with some advices, and the main advice is to keep it simple, effective when you do these things. Fantastic, good advice for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think that um, many investors feel that they are disadvantaged by focusing on ESG? Not really, because it depends on what your objectives are. So if you have uh, philanthropic objectives, uh, you might just not looking at, the, you're not expecting the money to come back in the sense <laughs> you're just giving it for charitable donations. But there are different areas within ESG where you want to have an impact so you could be kind of doing some green bonds or social type of bond investing, or it could be project finance, where the ESG objectives are far more important than the return and the risk return objectives. But there are areas where the risk and return objectives can still be priorities, but at the same time making an impact. And that goes back to some of the areas that I mentioned, the type of integrations, like if you do a tilting approach where you allocate more capital to companies that are good from an ESG point of view or you allocate less to companies that are poor from an ESG. You can build a solution that gets you similar to the market returns without having to actually give up too much of uh, your investment objectives. So it really there is a solution for, uh, for that, yes. So I understand that you grew up and were educated in Sweden. How does the attitude to ESG investing in, in Scandinavia compare to here in the UK and, and indeed across the world? Yeah, so I think uh, I grew up with uh, almost that kind of ESG in a way the society was built, even in the, in the 90s and uh, late in the 80s in, in Sweden. Uh, and so what we see today in terms of the recycling and all of that, that things was part of integral part of the society and it's coming more and more uh, countries and societies are adopting that. And Scandinavians are obviously a bit, I would say, even more Northern European, have kind of quite advanced when it comes to ESG today. Uh, they have adopted all these approaches, they started with the exclusions, they do the engagement with companies, they try to change companies' behaviours. So, I mean, I would say that, well, I was in Stockholm uh, earlier this year, I was speaking in one of their ESG conferences, and it's fascinating how advanced they are when it comes to how they integrate it into, into investment portfolios. But not only into investment portfolios, but actually in the general society. People are aware of it, probably more aware of it than in other countries that, that I've visited lately in Asia or even in North America. Obviously the awareness is there, but it's, they are very well aware in the Scandinavian countries. Um, so it's very much the case that as well as the legislative and policy approach, the, the consumer, the, the end consumer, is actually very aware of the need and, and the benefit of an ESG approach in Scandinavia. Absolutely, and the government cater for that. So, that, uh, so if you want recycling, they have created a, an opportunity for you to recycle. Uh, you want to have an investment uh, that is ESG friendly. The major pension funds are adopting that as a default uh, options. Uh, so it is because it's it's very 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 integrated into the, in, deeply ingrained in the Swedish society, in the Scandinavian societies in general, I would say. So you need to have the political support to be able to do that, but you also need the consumers to be willing to to participate in that. So. Well, I'm sure if our listeners didn't already believe that Scandinavian countries have a, a lot of things right, then there's just one more reason to, to believe that that's true. So just to summarise, um, what do you want investors to consider when it comes to ESG investing? I think it's very important to define your objectives. And 
the objectives can be that actually I want an impact, but if I kind of lose out a bit from a return point of view or I take a slightly higher risk, that's fine, but you need to be very clear on these objectives. Or if your objective is to actually get the market returns, the market performance with an impact, be also clear on that. So well-defined objective is extremely important when you do this. The other thing is that don't rely on the historical backtests and, and look at the historical performance to, to justify the fact that you will get an outperformance by doing ESG. Common sense tells you it is the case. Uh, if you invest in well-governed companies, you are eventually Hopefully, it's going to give you uh, protect your capital, but it's very hard to empirically evidence that simply because of the short history that we have. So don't rely on backtest, and, and and very importantly, is also to keep it simple. Don't try to over-engineer a solution to actually to invest in ESG. It can be done very simply as well, and just look into the future, you know, and and engage with companies to change behavior and drive the positive change. So while data from a reporting perspective is vital, what's interesting from what you've just said is that historical data is potentially less useful right now in the ESG space than perhaps in other sectors because it's actually a short space of time that we're looking at. So it's more about the latest set of data in the in the situation that we sit now. Exactly. Very interesting. And it just started the data measurement, so... It's it's all ahead of us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Fadi. Really interesting to meet you and, and hear your thoughts. And you. um, I hope you have a fantastic rest of day. And thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Joining me now during one of today's breakout sessions is Will Goodhart, Chief Executive of CFA UK. Thank you, Will, for joining us on the podcast today. Not at all. Thank you for having me. So this conference, judging by the buzz going on around us um, right now, is an extremely popular event, and I understand sold out quite a long time before the it event did, took place. It did, and this is, I think, the most popular event that we've held at um, any time. Uh, we've had several events in the past that have gone to sort of 400 attendees, but we're really close to 600, which is the capacity for this venue. And um, it's a testament to the level of interest that we see in this topic around ESG and sustainability and the demand that people have to understand it better and to be able to start building it into their daily working lives. And that's something that CFA UK really felt and was the, the motivation really for this special yes. conference that your, your members are yep. no, interested in this space. Absolutely. We brought out a new certificate in ESG investing about um, sort of three months ago and we've had very good demand for that which has been great. But what we, what we felt is that as the professional body for the investment sector, it's our responsibility to make sure that people are technically and ethically competent to do the jobs that people are paying them to do. And increasingly, what clients expect, and actually what has been proven to be good practice, is to be able to integrate environmental, social, and governance factors into the investment decision-making process. So, you know, it's, it's absolutely incumbent on us as the professional body to make sure that people are able to do that. And so this event has been designed to allow people directly to benefit from learning from each other and learning from speakers, but also to provide us with content to take into version two of the official training materials for the new certificate so that we can make sure that they're really completely up to date and have covered all of the different topics that people are discussing in the market at the moment. And so the certification that you mentioned, the new ESG yep. certification, that's now only a few months old. 
it's going well and it's going it's going very well good. which is great yeah so whenever you bring out a, a a new product of whatever sort yeah you're yeah it's great if something is very popular but actually you also want it to be popular for the right reason so you want to get really good feedback about the experience that individuals have and also the outcomes that they experience and what we're really pleased about is that people are enjoying the quality of the content and finding it extremely useful and feeling that they have benefited from going through that learning program. We're delighted obviously with the, the sort of levels of demand that we're seeing but we're particularly delighted in that we as a not-for-profit body are, are achieving our professional obligation. Absolutely and what would you say were some of the key benefits for your members uh, who maybe take that certification if somebody was considering undertaking that certification to enhance their career in the ESG yeah. space. It, the whole world of, of ESG investing and responsible investing and sustainable investing, so it's a world that is developing very rapidly and where there's a great dispersion in the amount of knowledge and experience that people have and what we're trying to do is to shortcut for people a way for them to obtain a necessary level of knowledge and skills as quickly as they can that's going to allow them to represent their clients properly or to, to, to meet their clients' demands properly. We, we can't build into that years of experience that people will have gained from working specifically in this sector, but what we can do is point people at the right research, at the right data sets, at the right techniques that other professionals that are already in the market can advise them that they should be looking at. And so for anyone who's interested, you will have details on the website. We uh, will. I keep forgetting to market fantastic. this properly. But, you know, it's fun to talk about. But yes, if you want to learn more about it, go to www.cfauk.org. And I think it's ESG that you should be looking for. And obviously, as a professional body, um, CFA UK is really well placed to spot um, trends that are impacting or indeed benefiting your, your members. So I wonder in particular how you see the increased interest in ESG investment and how that might change the experience for those working in the financial sector and what the feedback from, from your yeah. members has been. Well, that's a really big question, and I think it's something that a lot of the people who are here today are probably talking about right now. So ESG investing has really evolved from a topic where people might have thought that it was something that somebody, yeah, that was the, investing in accordance with somebody else's values or beliefs, but it would probably cost you money, to responsible investing where we accept that if you're not taking ESG factors into account in terms of your own investments, you're probably not doing your job well enough because you're not understanding the kinds of risks that your portfolio has in them now to moving into sustainable investment where you're thinking about what's the impact of my portfolio on on the world actually so responsible investment i think is now pretty much mainstream not entirely but we're certainly getting there and what i think we will see over the next five years is a much broader acceptance and understanding of needing to invest sustainably um, because policy and regulation is going to drive us in that direction as we respond to the, the immediate climate challenge and some of the other sustainable development goals. No, that's very interesting. And, and I, I guess as an organisation, I mean, you have a real focus on ethics. You know, the first visit to your website, people would see that yeah. immediately. 
Do you feel um, that rightly perhaps you have a, a responsibility as, a, as an organisation to sort of lead the charge uh, in that regard, so ASG and broader responsible investment? I think, I think everybody feels a level of personal responsibility around this issue, just as you know, normal people. We're all conscious that climate change is happening. We're all aware that as voters we may express preferences for a, one political party over another. But I suppose what's different about investment managers is that clients are now starting to demand responses and changes to the way that their portfolios are managed. And we have the opportunity as a professional body, you know, we have the time that everybody would like to take the time to be able to address this properly, but actually it makes sense for us to be able to convene the right people to think this through to then come up with the right guidance to help people act both technically and ethically uh, appropriately in, in undertaking analysis and then managing portfolios, constructing portfolios and working with clients. And other, you know, it's, so we have that opportunity. I don't think it's only us, that I don't think we're the only people that think about it. I think we have a, a real opportunity and the time and, and the mandate to actually do something about it in a way that others don't. And at CFA Institute obviously has had ethics as part of the CFA program since its um, initiation and we're delighted now to be working with CFA Institute on the development of a new standard around ESG disclosures. That will probably take some time to come through but if you think about the impact of the GIPS standard, we hope that the ESG standard once it's launched will have that same kind of impact in providing people with a level of assurance about products um, that are coming through that are, are based on ESG factors. And um, one thing that really strikes me today, just watching the people attending and, and listening, as again, we can hear from the buzz, is that it's not just about networking. This is a really fantastic day for shared, sharing best practice, yeah. sharing experiences. And um, for CFA UK, that must be something you see and feel very pleased about because that is also a big part of the reasons you exist to bring Absolutely. your members together. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's great being a professional body with 12,000 members, but if you don't actually use that group to, to help the group and also to help the group's additional stakeholders, then really you're wasting a, a, an opportunity. So we, de we definitely feel the board and the staff at CFA UK are very aware that we have an ability to bring these sorts of conversations to life and to allow people to... To, to meet and discuss and to learn from each other and our new professional learning platform, the Discover platform that we're launching in a couple of weeks is a fantastic way that we'll then be able to push that, the, that learning through to people so they don't have to be at an event like this to gain from it but anyone who has access to a mobile phone or an iPad or some other digital equipment will be able to, to, to get online and, and, and and use the content that we're drawing from these sorts of events. That sounds fantastic. Well, good luck with all of that and, and all the other amazing activities you have at CFA UK right now. And, and thank you so much for joining us. On, no, on... not at all. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been a fascinating day of discussions and shared best practice. And in fact, that now wraps up this second episode of the CFA UK's ESG Investing Conference perfectly. So thank you very much. Thank you. 
Don't forget, if you want to find out any more information about CFA UK or contact them directly, their website can be found at cfauk.org. Meantime, we hope you've been inspired by this episode and we'd love to hear any comments you may have on the topic of ESG investing. To contribute to the discussion, visit us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram. All of our accounts are linked at the top of our website at csuitepodcast.com. You'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes there too, plus links where you can subscribe for automatic downloads of each episode via your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to give us a positive rating and review. Finally, if you would like to get in touch with the show, you can do that via the contact form on our website too. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.